Hear the scripture today from the 21st chapter of Matthew, verses 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to him. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes... What will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, the listeners replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is World Communion Sunday. We have been sharing the communion elements in the courtyard outside. It is a wonderful, joyous thing to share in communion and know that people around the world are coming to the table of the Lord. John Wesley once said, The world is my parish when the church is given the world in which to live in the vineyard of God and produce a harvest, it takes resources. When Mulberry Street is given downtown Macon as the vineyard in which God expects us to produce a harvest, it takes resources. The good news is God will provide. He will provide the resources that are needed so that we can do the work that he has called us to do. I have a clergy friend who paraphrases a verse from the Psalms. She will often say, My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which means God has everything he needs to accomplish the work that he wants done. And he expects us to use those resources wisely to do the work he has called us to do. During the month of October, we are going to be considering stewardship. Now, I know as soon as you heard the word stewardship, you groaned inside. Oh, there goes the preacher talking about money. Yes, I'm going to be talking about money, and I'll be in good company when I do, because Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. Money is something we need to consider. We need to consider what God has given us and what He asks us to give back to Him. 
But as we talk about stewardship through the month of October, we're going to talk about stewardship from a much wider perspective because stewardship is about more than managing money. Stewardship is about managing our time. It's about managing all of our other resources. Stewardship is about recognizing that everything we have and everything we are has come from God and he calls us to give it back to him for his use. When we join the United Methodist Church, we make several promises. We make promises to support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our witness, and our service. Stewardship is about how we keep those promises. Stewardship is about how we keep those promises and use all that we have to serve God. We promise to support the church with our prayers. I hope that you're praying for your church. If you're not, please start today. Set your alarm on your clock for 719 in the morning or in the evening or both. And when it goes off, pray for your church. Pray for the leaders of your church that they will seek God's guidance and make wise decisions. Pray for the staff of the church that we will do the same. Prayer is the most powerful work that anyone can do, and it is the first one that we're called to do as Methodists. Not only do we agree to support the church with our prayers, but we promise to support the church with our presence. We promise to participate. We promise to participate in worship. We promise to participate in small groups. We promise to participate in acts of service. We promise to participate as much as we possibly can. Right now, some of us are having to participate via online, and that's wonderful. That counts as participation. But we all need to ask ourselves, are we participating enough? Because as we participate in worship and Sunday school and small groups and Bible study and all of these other events, youth activities, children's activities, what we are learning to do is put God first and we are practicing it through our participation. So we promise to participate when we join the church. Then we promise to support the church with our gifts. And yes, that means our tithes. A tithe is typically considered 10% of what we have coming into our household. We promise to tithe to the general work of the church. If you have a particular area in the church that you are very passionate about, that you just love particularly, Please support that area financially, but do so above and beyond the tithe that you're giving to the regular work of the church. Both participation and the giving of tithes are about priorities and how we set our priorities and where God falls on the list of priorities. What does how you spend your money say to you, your family and to the world about what you think about God? So we promise to support the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. We promise to be active in serving the community around us. Jesus has told us that anytime we serve others, anytime we reach out to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to give water to someone who is thirsty, to visit those in prison, those who are sick, anytime we do anything like that, we are doing it for Him. And that's a good enough reason to do it. We promise to serve our communities in the name of Christ and in the name of our church. And then we promise to be faithful witnesses. We promise to witness to what God has done in our lives 
and to also witness to what God is doing through us in the life of the church. Sometimes we are the only Bible that someone will read in any given day. Are your words and your deeds representing God well enough that someone can read you and know that you are a faithful witness to how much God loves us and demonstrates that through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ? So stewardship is about money, but it's about much, much more. Stewardship is about the work that God has called us to do and what He has done to equip us to do that work. Now, I want us to consider the context of the parable that we read just a few minutes ago. And as we consider that, we're going to discover what it might tell us about stewardship. Let me turn back to that for just a minute. Jesus told this parable, but we need to understand where he was and the situation as he was telling the parable before the passage of Scripture that we read today. If we had gone back a little bit earlier, we would have experienced the triumphant entry. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The people were cheering. They were so excited that he was there. They were putting their cloaks and palm branches on the road so no dust would rise up. He was sending a very clear message because in those days, a king coming in peace rode on a donkey. Jesus came in riding on a donkey, not a horse. A warrior king rode on a horse because horses represented speed and power. There's nothing about a donkey that represents speed or power. Donkeys are slow and plodding and often quite obstinate in that they refuse to go where we might want them to go. So Jesus didn't ride a donkey down the Mount of Olives because he just wanted to. He did it to send a message to everyone in Jerusalem, and many people heard that message and responded. And then he entered Jerusalem through the beautiful gate, a gate with double arches, one that represented the justice of God and one that represented the mercy of God. The street that went through that gate led right up to the temple, Jewish tradition taught that the Messiah would come to Jerusalem through that gate, entering from the east and bringing the glory of God. Jesus was sending another very powerful message as he entered Jerusalem through that gate. Again, people responded to that message, but the religious leaders did not want to even consider what he was saying to them. And then he goes to the temple, and while he's in the temple, he finds the, te- the tables of the money changers and the tables of the people who are selling animals for sacrifices, and he becomes so angry that he overturns the tables and he chases the people out and says, my father's house should be a house of prayer and not a house of commerce, not a business. All too often in today's world, we turn the church into a business. We need to remember Jesus' admonition that the sanctuary, the house of God, is a place of worship and a place of prayer. After he drove the money changers out, the religious leaders began to question his authority. They began to say, who is he? Who gives him the authority to do this? Who gives him the authority to proclaim himself king? Who gives him the authority to end the business in the temple? And then Jesus begins to tell stories. The religious leaders begin to pay attention because they knew 
he was talking about them. And in this particular parable, Jesus says there's a landowner. That would be God. He planted a vineyard. That would be the nation of Israel. He provided everything that the vineyard needed to create a wonderful harvest. That would be the call for the nation of Israel to be a light to the world so that others would want to come in. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers. The farmers represent the religious leaders of the day. When it was time for a harvest, the landowner sent servants, and the servants were killed. He sent more servants, and the servants were killed again. And then he sent his own son. And the son was killed also. Jesus is explaining to all who are listening that he is the son of God and that he will die. The religious leaders were not happy about that. Jesus would not end the story. He looked at them instead and he said, now you've heard the start of the story. How would you end it? What do you think the landowner is going to do? And the religious leaders said, the landowner will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will rent the vineyard to others who will share the actual harvest with him. The religious leaders knew, even as they said that, that they were condemning themselves. If you remember a few weeks back, we talked about pointing a finger. When you point a finger at someone, you have three pointing back at you. That's exactly what was happening. The religious leaders were pointing a finger at Jesus, accusing him of violating God's holy law. And the truth of the matter is they were the ones violating God's holy law. They were the ones who had turned the temple into a site for commerce. They were the ones who refused to abide by all that God was calling them to do. Jesus told the religious leaders that God would hold them accountable. And that's what we can learn from this parable with regards to stewardship. In the same way that God holds the religious leaders in this story accountable, God will hold us accountable for all that he has given us. A definition of accountability is being responsible for what you do, being willing to accept responsibility, and being willing to offer a reasonable explanation for your actions. Now, we have heard in our culture for the last several months a multitude of calls to accountability. It's an election year. Both sides are pointing fingers at the other side and claiming that the other side needs to be held accountable. But even as both sides point fingers at the other side, they themselves are refusing to be considered accountable for their actions. A multitude of calls for accountability, and yet no one seems in our culture to even be able to explain what accountability is. We heard last week in our Laity Sunday celebration as our wonderful lay leader did a marvelous job talking to the church. She said in her sermon last week, to whom much is given, much is expected. That's a, a paraphrase of Luke 12:48, And what Luke 12:48 says is that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. That's another definition of accountability, and it uses much more pointed language to demonstrate how God will hold us accountable. 
Here at Mulberry, God has given us much. We as a church have been given much to use in the service of God. We as a church have a history of serving downtown Macon, but not just serving downtown Macon, of reaching out to other parts of the community, of starting churches, of leading in the community. We can do that again. The leaders of this church started a process back in February that was interrupted by COVID, but we have now finished it. A process of developing a renewed vision and a renewed sense of purpose. They decided that Mulberry Street had four core values. Those core values include being Christ-centered, lifelong learners. We always want to be learning more about Christ and what it means to serve Him because as we learn more, we draw closer. Another of the core values is to be a community of engaged leaders. We want to be out there, outside the walls of the church, involved in the community, leading the community through the paths of justice and down the roads that we need to go to have the equality that we need in our community. They decided that we needed to practice radical hospitality and radical generosity and that we needed to live in service with the community, not to the community, but joining with the community to meet the needs wherever they are found. And the vision that is based on this foundation of our core values says that we want to make known the heart of God from the heart of downtown Macon. There's even a discipleship pathway. The words used are worship, grow, serve, and share. You will hear more about all of these over the next three weeks as leaders in our church share with you, both in online worship and in in in-person worship, as they explain to you how these core values were reached, how the vision was reached, and how they pray that we will live these out in the times to come. So you see, stewardship is about much more than money. It's about keeping the promises we made when we joined the church, plus living out our values and our vision and using all of the resources that God has given us to do both of the above and to accomplish the work that He's calling us to do. Good stewardship begins with leaders who use the gifts and resources given to God in a way that builds His kingdom and reaches the world. The question becomes, will we, the new tenants of the vineyard, produce the harvest that God expects by being responsible stewards of all resources and by fulfilling God's mission and ministry right here in downtown Macon? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.